some would say that death and taxes are the two guarantees that we have in life. We could all sit here and probably in five minutes, we could add another long list of guarantees in life. One I think that we could all agree on is that we all face trials. And maybe this last year has been the largest reminder of that, that we have been connected globally in this new way that maybe we've realized never before. And it's been through hardship. It's been through challenge. It's been through things that have tested us, that have tried our faith, that have tested our character, so many things. And the reality is this morning, as we celebrate, we also stand in attention that there's hardship going on. There's challenge going on. There are trials in each of our lives. There's trials in us as a faith community. There are trials within Tower and in our city. And you could say that we're all connected through trials because we have either just exited a season of being in some form of a trial in our life, or maybe in one right now, this moment, today, or the reality is that we're going to be in one soon. Trials are a part of our life. We're going to start a new sermon series. Uh, we're actually going to work through the book of James over the next seven Sundays. And the reality is, if we look over this last year, if we look at the polarization through politics, as we look at the injustices around uh, racism, um, ethnic and racial division, you know, so many people just being ravaged by sickness and death, those that have died, but then also the families that are still trying to figure things out, not having them in their family, having to pick up the burdens of financial costs of everything that goes into it. I mean, you just keep working down the list. This has been an insane year in so many ways. Like, we're still in it. Like, there's still this thing that I don't know if you've recognized, but I know for myself, like, there's still kind of these PTSD moments in a way that we've experienced so much trauma in this last year and a half, and sometimes the littlest thing can spark it. Southwest Airlines put out that in the last, since like, it's like mid-April to mid-May, they've had uh, 477, um, like, assaults on airline workers from passengers. People's anxiety is just so high, and any little thing can just set us off. And we're still in that right now. You know, even as we start to progress and, you know, we put out that like, hey, we're going preferred with like, we're preferring masks for the next couple of Sundays. And after that, we're moving to preference and where people are at. Like, there's still a reality that we're still in some things though. And I think the emotional toll that we've all been in the last year and a half is that's probably going to take the longest. Even like being in this size of a group of people, like, I don't think I've been in a room this big with this many people yet, you know, a year and a half. Like, there's some things there and some feelings. Like, I, I don't know how I feel about this and, you know, all that. Um, so what better time than to go look at James, who writing a couple thousand years ago, it's one of the first books in the New Testament, and he writes, we'll get to the passage here in a second, to those that are under persecution. That the Christian church who has been persecuted, who has had to flee their homes, who have been displaced, and he's writing to them to pretty much say, yeah, that's a part of life in, in so many ways. Uh, I don't know if you guys have heard of the new community up north out 41 called Soro Viejo. 
Um, you know, there's the River Stone, I think, is the one right off 41 Avenue 12, and one a little bit further up. Um, it is, it's a bit of a utopia. I mean, utopia can be defined as an area that is, is perfect, is clean, is, there's no crime, there's, you know, everything is in order. And what I found interesting, I went up there to write my message the last couple of weeks because it's kind of an escape for me. I, I like going up to like Oakhurst, but like this still feels out of Fresno. Um, and again, there's, it's very nice there. Uh, but what I found interesting is these homes are beautiful. They have a school district there. Like the street sweeper seems to just be running 24 seven throughout the neighborhoods. Like it's bizarre. Um, we, some of us dream of that. Uh, but then what was very interesting, right when you enter, there's a fire station at the center of it. And I think Paul is doing, I mean, sorry, James is doing this in some ways that he's saying like, man, there's this beautiful aspect to life with God. That God wants us to live this abundant life that, that things to see God's kingdom break in is just amazing. But like the fire station being there, we are aware that there are challenges and troubles and trials and hardships in life. Sometimes we might more like to think that maybe there's an ambulance more so that, uh, you know, responds to the, the things afterwards. We don't even know where like the station is, but fire stations are saying we are preparing for something bad to happen. And I think sometimes there's this misnomer in life with God that once I come to life with God, once I become a quote unquote Christian, the things are just going to start working out. Things are going to get better. I'm going to enjoy my life more. Man, God is going to start answering my prayers. I gave up this. I gave up that. You know, God and I are in now. I'm doing everything that he wants me to. I don't know if anyone could raise their hands if it's the reality of this last year. How many unanswered prayers have there been in this last year? A little bit of a downer, I know. But there is good news in all of this. So why don't we turn, Kelly, if we can pull up the first chunk. James starts here. James 1, 1. James, a servant of God and of Lord Jesus Christ, the 12 tribes scattered among the nations. Greetings. So this scattered amongst the nations piece is very important because this is the part where he's saying, I am writing to other Christians who have been in Jerusalem with me. This comes after what we would know as the stoning of a character named Stephen. And Stephen was stoned by the religious leaders in this time. And then this persecution starts to happen where it becomes kind of like, uh, like open field day on Christians for following these ways of Jesus. And then people start persecuting them. People start killing them. It happens from the Roman Empire, but then who's to think? Why would it be happening from the religious leaders? My question is for you this morning, when persecution comes, when trials come into your life, the things that test your character, the things that challenge your faith, the things that make you say, God, why? Why me? Why now? Where are you? How is this possible? There is no way that this could be happening if you really existed. And what he's ultimately doing here is proposing the question, when you face trials, do you tend to scatter? Do you feel displaced? Do you feel far from home? Do you feel far from God? Do you feel like you are just out of everything that you've known? 
You are out of everything that is good. So this morning, when you face trials, how do you feel? How do you respond? Let's keep going. Consider it pure joy. Dude's wild. My brothers and sisters, wherever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance, let perseverance finish work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. Hey, you guys just saw Stephen get stoned to death. You're all running for your lives. You're no longer home, but man, just consider it joy. Like, what do you do with that? Like, I'm sitting there, like, you know, you go back to this time. It's like, what do you mean, consider? Do you realize what is happening in our lives right now? Yeah, anyways, we could keep going down what he might be thinking here. Um, But within that, again, like, I just, I wonder this peace, like this consider pure joy when you face trials. I don't know about you, but I do not consider it joy. That is not my first thought. I remember uh, soccer in college, we always had multiple fitness tests throughout the year. I was a goalkeeper, okay? And you probably don't need to know much about soccer to know that the goalkeeper pretty much stands there most of the game. Sometimes you do nothing. Like, it's the truth. I would like to say, no, it's the most important player on the field. And I believe it is. But sometimes you literally do nothing. And every year, I'd have to do these long runs with the team. I have to go run two miles under 12 minutes in 105-degree weather along a canal with loose gravel. Like, why? I don't do this in a game. And every single time, every single year, I would complain to my coach. And like, why don't I do stuff that's more specific to my position? And he would say, Ryan, because you're resisting it so much, I believe that it is going to be that much better for you, even though you don't understand it. I still don't believe him. Like, I mean, like, hey, nice, nice wisdom there. Way to, way to play on James here, and you don't even know it. Um, but I, I want to resist it. Heck, I'll pay money to resist this trials in life. I will prioritize my life and make sacrifices so that I don't experience pain, that I don't experience hardship, that I can have this idea of a comfortable future in retirement, right? Like we all have every single day, there are things that we are doing to avoid trials in our life. I think as we learn over and over again, that it is impossible to resist them. James is not holding any punches here at all. And I think ultimately what we can pick from this is that struggles create strength. Struggles create strength. And I know that's counterintuitive, but every trial that you and I face, the hardships big and small that we go through, there's an opportunity that we have to become more mature, to become more complete, to not be lacking anything. Very counterintuitive. We do not want to hear that. I remember sitting with a guy one time uh, at a hotel, actually. We started talking about his life, and he had some 
just a lot going on. Uh, recently divorced, uh, challenging situations with kids. Um, there's a lot going on in his life that just nothing was going for him in that moment. I remember asking him, like, okay, so how are you doing? He's like, well, you know, I'm just trying to stay positive. You know, if I just hang on to those good moments and, and just really hang on to those and capitalize those moments, I just, I'm happier and things are better. And so I naturally asked, well, what do you do in the hard moments? It's like, well, you know, I just know that a good moment's coming again. And it, it's, it's, it, that gets me through it. I asked him, like, are you tired from that? Are you exhausted of just trying to hang on to the next good moment while you're just going through hard things in life? And he simply said, Brian, I'm exhausted. I cannot find enough strength in these hard seasons to stay happy. I just can't do it. And I think the reality of what James is starting to paint a picture here, Kelly, if we can pull that one back up. There's a piece here, consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters. And then he connects it to us growing, us becoming complete, us not lacking anything. Let's keep going to the next passage. I want us to hear this. Yeah, before we even get there. I want to frame everything here. What you're in right now, God is not surprised by the trials that we face. Next one. Oh, sorry. Yep. God is working in the trials that we face. Like if you walk away with one thing this morning, God is not surprised by the trials we face. God is working in the trials we face. And I know that it's one thing to try and conceptually understand that. It's another to actually feel it. Okay, let's keep going. If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. But when you ask, you must believe and not doubt, because the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea blown and tossed by the wind. That person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Such a person is double-minded and unstable in all they do. If you could imagine a car and the sets of wheels on each side being able to like just do their complete, like their own thing. If you have the right side trying to go right and the left side trying to, like you would never get anywhere. Or if they're coming into each other, you, you just, the car has to be in line with what everything else so that it can move in the direction it needs to go in. And what James is saying here is that to doubt these things, we become double-minded and essentially we're not moving forward any, in anything. We're just stuck in our trials. But I want us to hear this because this can sound harsh. It can sound that you, you, you can't doubt. You just need to believe. You just need to have more faith. You just need to turn your frown upside down. You need to, whatever it is, there's all these cultural idioms we have to try and bypass these moments of pain to just believing in the next good moment. But what he is saying is, if any of you lacks wisdom, if you lack understanding of why you're going through the trial that you're going through, if you lack the belief that God is near and in this with you, if you doubt that something good can come from this situation, he doesn't yell at you and say, stop doubting, you need to believe more so that these prayers would come true. He says, God gives generously to all without finding uh, fault, and it will give to you. God is a God that wants to graciously give to us. 
And what this starts to look like is when we're in the midst of trials, it's kind of like the prayer of God, I want to believe, but you need to help me in my unbelief. God, I, I, I want to choose joy in this situation, but you're going to have to give me strength to choose joy. There's a quote here um, from St. Augustine. I think it's after this slide. Father, command what you will and grant what you command. Command what you will. Command the things that you want me to come to, but may you grant also in me what you're commanding. James is pointing that to choose joy in all, all of our trials is not on our own strength. It's not in the willpower that we have. It's not in the happy moments that we want to just hang on to and get to the next one. It is by the Spirit of God that empowers us to be able to turn to joy in all of the trials that we face. And sometimes that means, God, I do not believe that anything good is coming from this. I doubt that something good is coming from this. I doubt that I'm going to be able to make it through this situation. God is so much bigger than our doubts. He is so much bigger than the lack of faith that we can have in times. And he is saying, I want to pour my grace out on you in these trials. Because I want to mature you in this. I want to complete you in this. I want to give you everything so that you are not lacking at all in who I'm calling you to be. Now I think we're at those two little one-liners before this quote. Yeah, Kelly, thank you. Always keeping me on track. There's a piece here that I think is one of the hardest things to do, but it's to release control. We do not have control over the trials that we face. Sometimes we have what Paul gets that we're not going to get to. We have control within the temptations that come up in our life that lead to bad decisions, that lead to destruction, that lead to sin. That is separate. God is not tempting us. As God is in the trials, can we release control that I do not have control over every situation in my life? I do not have control to just choose joy in everything because I have grief, I have sorrow, I have loss, I have so many things wrestling here. But can I get release control? And then attached to that, this next one, can I receive that grace? Can I stop trying to cling on to every trial that I'm in to make it better, to get past it, to try and muster up strength to get through? And then can I open my hand in the situation and say, God, I need your grace more than ever right now. Can you meet me in this moment when I feel like I can't reach out to you? Will your grace pour out in this situation? So where does your strength come from when you are in trials? Big and small. Where does your strength come from when you are amidst trials? I think it's helpful to know real quick. James here isn't just sitting up in a tower like a philosopher and just trying to drop all this great knowledge and be like, man, you should choose joy. And yeah, he's not doing that. James actually didn't even leave in his half-brother Jesus while Jesus was 
on earth before his death. All the disciples that followed Jesus, James was removed from that. James was a part of the family that said, man, I think our brother Jesus is losing it. Like we, we need to institutionalize this dude. Some crazy things happening. But what happened is Jesus appeared to him after Jesus laid in the grave. After James saw him on a cross, Jesus appears and they eat together. James becomes actually one of the greatest leaders of faith in this time because of the power that he witnessed in his half-brother. If you have siblings, you know that it's your siblings that will be like, yeah, yeah, he's kind of cool, but nah, nah, I don't, there's nothing there, right? So what, what we see here is James actually lives this out. James becomes this great hero of faith. And then what starts to happen, like many, after the stoning of Stephen, is James is then persecuted himself. He's one of our first martyrs. The religious leaders start to get sick of his boldness and everything he's teaching and laying people, um, leading people astray as he continues to teach from the wisdom literature and he continues to teach from what he did. He hung out with his half-brother, Jesus. They ask him to go give a message. He goes up on top of the temple, gets the crowd aroused. They're all loving it. Religious leaders hate it. They go and push him off the top of the temple. The fall was not, this is church history, but the fall was not long enough for him to die. But in that moment, he turns to his knees and starts praying, forgive them for they not know what they do. As they begin to stone him, which he still does not die, as he continues to pray, forgive them for they know not what they do until a launderer grabs a club and beats him over the head and he dies. I think it's important to note that James lived out what he is talking about. This isn't just stuff up in the clouds, but this is a very real reality. Yeah, so I think this last one, James 1, 9 to 11. Believers in humble circumstances ought to take pride in their high position, but the rich should take pride in their humiliation, since they will pass away like a wildflower. For the sun rises with scorching heat and withers the plant, its blossom falls and its beauty is destroyed. In the same way, the rich will fade away even while they go about their business. This last one, Kelly, I think it's the next slide. Resist comparison. You know this, but every study is saying that the moments you scroll, scroll through Instagram, you are actually becoming more depressed, especially when you are facing trial. Mind you, a couple of these stories are people who have been persecuted and killed because of their faith to follow Jesus, which we don't experience that here in the West. Other countries do. To say you are a follower of Jesus, to say you are a Christian in plenty of countries means that you are risking your life, that you could actually be imprisoned, you could actually be killed. It happens right now. Resist comparison means that when we're in the trial, when we start to look to other people's life, when our marriage just absolutely sucks, and we see all the pictures of the wonderful, beautiful marriages happening around us. When my health has started to decline, and I get to see everyone just always smiling and enjoying their life and going and do their thing. When I long for children and everyone else is having babies and celebrating showers and everything going on. We can just keep going down this list. When you're in financial crisis, but you see your best friend traveling around the world, Right, like just keep layering it on. You are becoming depressed over and over again because we cannot go on things like that. We can hardly walk down the street or enter a store without comparison. 
And there's a peace here that I believe James is saying that we cannot compare, but what needs to happen is we actually need to find contentment in the situation that we are in. Because when we compare, we start to ask questions of why me? Why now? And then we probably take it a step further and say, why not them? Right? Man, they're a horrible person, but I got stuck with this. I'm good. Why? How does this happen? Christianity stands apart from all other religions in a number of ways. But one is that there's a God who loves us, who is willing to enter into our trials with us. So Jesus goes and prays in the Garden of Gethsemane before he goes to the cross, before he is led to his death, his burial, and his resurrection. He brings a few disciples with him. They enter into the garden. And Jesus says over and over again in his prayer time, three different times, God, take this cup from me. In other words, I do not want to go through this. I do not want to go to the cross and endure everything that I'm about to endure. I do not want to enter into this trial. Can you please do this a different way? But then he says, but your will be done. I don't want to do this, but God, whatever you're up to, I give it to you. I don't want to do this. It says that he is filled with sorrow to the point of death. He literally bleeds tears of sweat because he is so filled with grief for what he's about to go through. And all of it is God saying that I am entering into the pains of this world with you. I am entering into the trials of this world with you and I'm going before you. It says in Hebrews that, that, you know, Jesus is sitting there saying, I'm grieved. I don't want to go through with this. I cannot do this. It says the joy set before him is what made him endure the cross. It's the joy that he clung on to knowing that God was doing something far beyond what he could see, far beyond what he could do. It was the joy knowing that death would eventually be conquered. It would, it would, it would be actually joy saying, I know that there is a new reality, God, that your kingdom is going to be breaking in and one day we will see its fullness. That is the joy. It's not the happiness. It's not feeling good all the time. Actually, it's probably rather the opposite. But what God is saying is I'm entering into these trials with you so that you can choose joy. You can cling to me in these moments of trials that you are going through. God himself was not surprised by the trials Jesus faced. God himself was working in the trials Jesus faced to the point of suffering with and on our behalf. That is what gives us the ability to choose joy in trials. To choose joy when we don't know how to. To choose joy when we just absolutely do not have the strength to. Paul, who lived it, he's in prison. He's writing these letters. He has this life of hardship in so many ways. He says that it was God told him that it is in his weakness that God's strength is made perfect. 
It's in Paul's weakness that God actually shows up and does what God is going to do. As a part of us, can we accept that the trials I am going through, I cannot do by myself. And what a beautiful thing that there is a God saying that I am there for you. I am with you in this. I feel your sorrow. I feel your grief. I feel your loss. LJ, if we want to come up. Yeah, so as you just, why don't we stand actually? Um, and I'm just going to wrap us with a, a reading and then we're going to go into one more song. I'll give a little bit of instruction around it. Um, but there's, there's just an aspect here. I wanted to drive this home. God is not surprised by the trials we face. God is working in the trials that we face. Even though it may not feel like that right now. Even though it may not have felt like that the last trial you were in. You know, I mean, you just go down the list. Anything that is testing your character, anything that is testing your faith, anything that you would rather run from and not deal with. I think there's an invitation for us just to pause Sit with maybe the trial that we're in right now. Sit with the trial that we've come out of. Sit knowing that I'm going to experience more trials. Because James wrote this 2,000 years ago, and it is always a word for all of us. I do think this is timely for us as a church. Because a lot of you are going through it right now. One of the things that happens when these letters were written to the early church, I know it's easy for us to think, man, I just, I got to choose joy. I got to get the strength. What would happen is James would have sent this letter out to all the people spread out. And they would have gotten the letter and everyone would have circled around and someone would have read it together and they would have sat and just talked about it. What does it mean to choose joy? We oftentimes live a very individualized faith in our Western culture. But I want you to know that as James finishes, Kelly, pull that up. Uh, I think it's the last verse. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights who does not change like sifting shadows. What we get to do as a faith community, what we get to do that is so beautiful as the people of God is we get to see the trials that we are in. If we get to collectively come around and say, we want to choose joy. We want to come alongside each other and help strengthened by the spirit of God. We do not have to face our trials by ourselves, even though most of culture tells us that we have to. You just need to be stronger. You need to, you need to get through this. No, it's in our weakness that God's strength is made perfect. So one thing maybe for you to try on, one application, I'm going to read a verse and then we're going to go into the song. A yielding prayer. I talked about releasing control. And I think one thing that gets in the way of actually stepping into trials with an open mind and heart is that we want control. And a yielding prayer says daily, God, I want to give up control. I want you to take this cup from me, but will your will be done? You could say something like, God, my feelings are often shaped by my experiences. Whatever storms bash me today, I choose to anchor myself 
in you. Help me to learn to be content, come that may. Whatever the words are that work for you, just to release control and say, God, have your way. And my prayer is that, like he says, I am gracious and I want to give generously when you doubt. My prayer is that he will continue to meet us in those spaces. Are you creating the space? So together, we would hear things like this. This is actually coming from the Old Testament, but I want to speak this over us as a group. And then we'll respond in a time of ministry. Isaiah 40, 31 says this, 27 to 31. Why would you ever complain, O Jacob, or whine, Israel, saying, God has lost track of me. He does not care what happens to me. Do, don't you know anything? Haven't you been listening? God doesn't come and go. God lasts. This is from the message translation, by the way. He's creator of all you can see or imagine. He doesn't get tired out. He doesn't pause to catch his breath. And he knows everything inside and out. He energizes those who get tired, gives fresh strength to dropouts. For everyone, young people, or for, for even young people, tire and drop out. Young folk, folk in their prime stumble and fall. But those who wait upon God get fresh strength. They spread their wings and soar like eagles. They run and don't get tired. They walk and they don't lag behind. And I believe that we will continue to press forward in a time where this is ever-present. The trials that we face will continue. I think as the church, they will get worse. I don't want any of us stepping into this thinking that things are just going to be rainbows and butterflies. But God can work in the trials that we find ourselves in. And that is why we can choose joy. Joy.